reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, starting at verse 8, and you can find that on page 1,153 of the Green Bibles. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Thanks be to God. Good, well, thank you, Tim, and um, thank you very for your welcome. It's very good to be uh, back in St. Dionys again. It's always a great pleasure to come here and uh, see a number of familiar faces and, uh, and others as well. Um, this morning, I want to ask a, a simple question, which is, um, how do churches grow? How do churches grow? Uh, I was part of a church down in um, South London quite a number of years ago, and they were asking this question, how, how do we grow as a church? And uh, <clears throat> they decided to do something, which was to, um, uh, well, let, you know, let's, let's get out there and um, sort of visit people and knock on doors and tell them about Jesus. And uh, so the vicar was at the front and um, sort of announced this sort of strategy, this is what we were going to do, and uh, asked for volunteers. At which point, everybody suddenly found something very interesting to look at on the floor or gazed at the ceiling and did whatever we possibly could to avoid his gaze, um, and I joined in, but then eventually felt slightly guilty and sort of looked up and happened to catch his eye, and so of course, as soon as I caught his eye, it was lost. So, oh, great, great, thank you very much, good. Okay, so, so I was uh, <coughs> signed up uh, along with a few other rather unwilling volunteers, and um, we, uh, we all turned up in church on a Wednesday night, and um, we were given these little tracts, these little sort of booklets to go around, and we were given our instructions, and um, I can remember going up the, the, uh, um, into this sort of block of flats and uh, ringing on the first doorbell, and as I did so, I found a, a little prayer um, kind of forming in my mind, and the prayer went, um, 
Dear Lord, please let them be out. <laughs> and uh, it was a slightly painful experience. There were some one or two good conversations that, that evening, and I think it's, it's, it's a great way to, to, to do it. I, I don't, don't say it's a bad thing to go and sort of visit people in your local area and, and to kind of knock on doors and so on, but, but it's quite hard to do. And um, the other question that, of, of, that struck me when we did that was, well, what if someone did actually say, hey, okay, I'll come along to your church, what would they actually find? And uh, so I suppose that um, experience made me think, well, that, that, that can be good. You know, talking to people about our faith, talking to people about Christ, talking to people about God is a, is a good thing. But maybe there's something else to think about beforehand. There's a um, uh, 17th century French um, philosopher, thinker, um, mathematician, genius of all kinds, called uh, Blaise Pascal. And uh, he wrote a, uh, a little book called The, the Pensée. Well, he didn't really write it. In fact, what happened was that he was, uh, um, he lived in Paris in the 17th century. He knew a lot of people who were, um, were very sophisticated. They were gamblers in particular. They used to kind of go and sort of gamble on everything they could possibly think of. And uh, Pascal was one of those kids, one of those, those people who, uh, you know when you're a kid at school, there's this slightly nerdy kid who um, doesn't really get on with everybody else, but is really good at maths. They're not good at much else, but they're really good at maths. Well, Pascal was like that. He was not really good at much else, but he was very, very intelligent, very good at maths. And these gamblers used to quite like um, Pascal because he would help to work out the odds on their bets. It's quite useful if you're a gambler to have a good mathematician to work out whether it's a good bet or not. Well, that's what kind of Pascal did. And he, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he had a, at one stage, he had a profound kind of encounter with God. And... Uh, as a result of this encounter with God, he found he wanted to somehow communicate his Christian faith to the people around him. And so he began writing down little thoughts, ideas, things that might come to him that might persuade some of these sophisticated um, but rather sort of worldly friends of his about Christian faith. And uh, anyway, he died before he was able to finish the book, and these were gathered into this little book that we now know of, it's called The, the Pensée of Pascal. Now, what was his approach? Now, it's very interesting. You, you can actually sum up his approach in this one little phrase, which I've always found a really interesting phrase to thinking about how people come to faith and how churches grow. He said this. He said um, about Christian faith, make it attractive, make good men wish it were true, and then show that it is. Make it attractive, make good men wish it were true, and then show that it is. And uh, I think when I think back on my experience of trying to knock on those doors and trying to persuade people about the truth of Christianity, we were kind of concentrating on the last bit of that little exercise, showing people that it's true, but we weren't giving a lot of attention to the first part of it, making it attractive, making people wish it was true. And one of the questions when we think about how we grow the church is how do you get people to that point where they might say to you something like this? Well, you know that Christian thing that you're into. Now, I know you go to ch church on a Sunday and you believe all this stuff. I don't believe it for a moment. I think it's complete nonsense, really. But, you know, there's just something about, about you and about those people that you hang out with from time to time that somehow makes me wish it was true. Because actually, if people come to that point, it's not that difficult 
to show that Christian faith makes sense. It's kind of what the Alpha Course is for. It's a way in which people can come and find out this thing makes sense. So there are answers to the questions. The quick question before that is how do we make people wish it was true? Now, this is where we come to this reading we had um, read for us just a few moments ago uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. And um, what Peter is doing in this passage is he's talking to a group of Christians about how they relate to the world around them, how they relate to the world around them. And in particular, there's a verse there which um, goes like this. It was towards the end of our reading. It says, um, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, it says there, you know, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about the hope that you have. And I guess I've often heard that verse used in the context of thinking about um, talking about our faith, that we have to kind of get our get our answers ready, so you know your answer to the questions that people might ask, you know, why does God allow suffering, or all religions lead to God, all those kind of questions. But there's something that that verse assumes that I think we often miss, and that is that someone has asked a question. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I sometimes imagine um, what's behind this verse, and maybe you can imagine a first-century Christian, uh, and she's living her, her life in one of those cities, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Colossae, or whatever it might be, and uh, she has a, a neighbor who's a pagan. Uh, pagans were those who, who, who worshipped the Greek gods, not the God of Jesus Christ. And uh, you can imagine her neighbor um, watching her live her life. And you can imagine this neighbor sort of a little bit intrigued by the fact that this person who lives next door to him, this Christian, doesn't go along to the temple down the road and offer sacrifice to the gods like everybody else does. Instead, she seems to meet with a group of people on a Sunday in her house where they sing these other rather odd songs and they do some strange thing with bread and wine and they, they, they talk in this odd language about loving one another and all of that. And he thinks this is all a little bit strange. And uh, he, he, he notices the fact that um, she and this group will often go out to find the, um, the orphans and the widows, the, um, the single-parent families, if you like, in their neighborhood. And they do what they can to help them and support them. And maybe one day this man um, hears via the kind of local gossip that, his neighbor has fallen sick, and uh, this is a world without any national health service or, or extensive medical care, and uh, she, he knows that she's very sick, and it's likely that she's not going to live for much longer. And he watches her, and as he, he watches her, uh, she seems to somehow come to life as this illness goes on, as her body begins to closed down, something inside her seems to, to grow, that somehow, for her, death is not the worst thing that could happen, that somehow it would be far worse for her if she lost her faith in Christ. And, and one day, one day, he, uh, he summons up the courage to ask her a question, and he says, you know, um, 
I wonder if you could tell me, what's, what's, the, what's the reason for this, this, this hope that you seem to have? And Peter says, that's the moment to speak. That's the moment when the best evangelism happens. In other words, the best evangelism happens as the answer to a question. It comes when someone has got to the point where they, they kind of wish it was true. They've seen something that provokes them, that makes them think there's something in this. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of trying to talk to someone who is really about your faith, who really is not interested. They wish you would just go away, you'd talk about the football or something else. Uh, you would just, just, just stop talking about anything as embarrassing as religion. Um, it's, it's quite hard to do that. I don't know if you've ever had the other experience of talking to someone who is really intrigued. They're quite interested in this thing. They've seen something, they've heard something that has provoked a question in their minds. Now that, I think, is what Peter says to these Christians. Yes, be ready with an answer, but before that, provoke the question. Always be ready to give an answer to whoever asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's why I think earlier on in the reading we had, we had this emphasis on a whole lot of other things, where it says, he begins, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because for this you were called. In other words, he says to them, you know, if you really want to have an impact on your local community, you've got to think about the kind of things that will have such an impact. So, live in harmony with one another. This was a world in the first century which was riven with all kinds of ethnic and, and, uh, and social division and strife. Riots would regularly break out in Greek or Roman cities between Scythians and barbarians and Parthians and all these sort of ethnic groups that, that made up the Roman Empire. You'd always have these riots going on. And he would say to them, as a Christian community, you know, create a community where actually there is real harmony with one another, this very fractured society. You know, create a community where you've got representatives of all these different bits, but they, they actually live in harmony with one another. He says, love as brothers. Treat each other as if, you're, as if they were members of your family. Not just people you just see every now and again, but as a Christian community. Think about your Christian people in your church, as if they are your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your children. That kind of closeness, that kind of commitment that we have. I don't know about you, I'd do anything for my kids. And this is calling me to do anything for the Christians in my church too. Be compassionate and humble. Um, the word there it conveys this idea of, of having a deep sensitivity to the suffering of the world. Someone who's compassionate and humble, cannot see suffering without it somehow wrenching their own heart and feeling they've got to do something about it. That's what he wants to see in this Christian church. He says, repay evil with, 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 repay evil with blessing. <clears throat> in other words, create the kind of community where that's different from normal places. There are, there are places normally where you go to, and um, in most human communities, if, if, someone, if someone offends, you know, if you offend someone, if you cross them, they're probably going to say, right, how am I going to get that? How am I going to get you back again? How are you going to repay evil with evil? 
He says, try to create the kind of community where it's not just repay evil with ignoring them, but repay evil with blessings. So when someone offends someone else, that person tries extra hard to bless them back again. Now, why does he say all these things? Because I think when the church begins to be like that, it's incredibly attractive to come across a community like that in the first century. It would have been quite remarkable. A place where different kinds of people found belonging. A people where, a community where evil got repaid with blessing and not evil. A place where you could find love and compassion and humility. Because when you see a community like that, it provokes a question. It's what Peter says a little bit earlier on in this same letter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. He's saying to them, live such good lives. Live lives tinged with such goodness, with sheer goodness. Where? Not just in church, but among the pagans, amongst your neighbors, amongst your friends, amongst your work colleagues. Think about how you can compose your life, how you can make your life something that is touched with such goodness that it provokes question. One of my um, favorite uh, stories from the early church was of a man called uh, Pacomius. Pacomius was a, an Egyptian, um, pretty ordinary bloke, really, he was, uh, and he was conscripted by the Roman army. And um, uh, he was carried down the Nile um, and uh, was held for a while in a, a kind of army barracks, which was sort of doubled as a prison, really, for, for conscripts. And he was held for a while in this, um, this place, and he was utterly miserable. He'd been sort of taken out of his life, taken away from his family, stuck in this prison, had to go and fight in the army, for the, in the Roman army. He's probably going to get killed as a result of it. I mean, not great prospects. And while he was in this, this place, he was visited by this group of people uh, who, who lived locally in this town, Luxor, where he was, um, he was, he was held. And this group of people would come and visit him um, night after night after night. And they'd come and they'd bring him bread and they'd bring him a little bit extra food that he would have otherwise, and they would talk to him and so on. And eventually he, he, he said, you know, why do you do this? You know, you, you're not related to me. I've never met you. You, you come and visit us in, in prison in this way. What's it all about? And they said, well, it's because we are Christians. We bear the name of Christ who told us to visit those in prison, who told us to, 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 to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice, and that's what we do. And he was so struck by this, so uh, impressed by it that he thought, I've got to become one of these Christians. And so he became a Christian, and um, later on he was one of the key founders of, um, of the early monasteries. He had this idea of going out into the, the desert to, to create a community of people that would, that would pray and that would devote themselves to the study of the Scriptures and would do good works for other people. He was one of the key founders of early Christian monasticism. Why was he converted? Not just because someone spoke to him, but because someone did something provocative that provoked a question that made him wish it was true. There's another story I heard recently of um, uh, someone a bit more up to date who was uh, a Christian living in a suburb of a town, 
And uh, he was talking to his neighbor one day, and the neighbor was looking a little bit um, um, kind of downcast, and the neighbor said, uh, wow, it's, it's a real power. We're just about to go on holiday. We're off to France for a fortnight, and just the car is just completely gone. Taking it to the garage, they say it's going to take about three weeks to get done. We're just going to have to cancel our holiday. And um, so the Christian said to his neighbor, um, that's all right, you can, you can borrow our car. And the guy said, well, uh, you know, I'm not sure we'd all fit into the Nissan Micro. It's a bit small. And so the Christian said, no, 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 I, I didn't mean the Nissan Micro. I meant the, the Volvo Estate. And the neighbor said, are you serious? You're going to lend me your Volvo Estate to take with my family. You know what my family's like. And we to, to France for two weeks. He said, yeah, 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 it's fine. No, yeah, yeah, you take it, take it, go. So the neighbor took the Volvo Estate, took it off to France for a fortnight, drove it around, and he could not get out of his head for the whole of those two weeks. Why has this guy done something completely countercultural? In this part of the world, you do not lend your Volvo Estate to your neighbors. Um, but he just could not get out of his head. And so when he, when he got back, he said to him, it was really, it was amazing what you, what you did. But, you know, why did you do it? And uh, the uh, neighbor said, well, you know, it's, it's actually, it is because, well, I, I became a Christian a number of years ago, and it's really helped me to learn to let go of the things that I possess, and so I don't hold them quite as tightly as I, as I used to. So I'm a little bit more relaxed about them now that I, than I was. And as a result of that, the guy came to faith. It happens then. It happens now. It happens in this church as well. It's interesting here what... Um, in uh, Acts 2, there's that story of how um, uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, gets up and preaches this amazing sermon, and 3,000 people become Christians. Now, for preachers like me, Tim, everybody else here, you know, that's your dream, your dream gig, <laughs> is you, uh, you preach, 3,000 people all become, you know, get baptized and, and everything else. Never happened to me yet, perhaps to Tim all the time, I'm sure, but um, um, what was it about this particular sermon that had such a remarkable impact? Well, when you look at the context of what's said, you understand what's going on. What had happened just before Peter got up on the day of Pentecost to preach his sermon? Somehow, the Holy Spirit had fallen on these people, and um, the crowd had heard the wonders of God declared in their own languages, this remarkable uh, the fact that people are suddenly here, unlettered, peasant, uh, people from Galilee speaking in languages they couldn't otherwise have spoken. And there's a little verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, where it says what the crowd thought. And they said, amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Now, that's the question. That's the question that we have to get people to ask. And when we think about how our church has grown, I guess a church that never provokes that question in the minds of people in its surrounding neighborhood will probably never grow that much. There's that um, question, you may have heard it before, but um, that's sometimes asked, you know, if uh, of any local church, if the local church in a particular area were to disappear overnight, would anyone notice, and would anyone care? Now, what does that mean for us? How might 
we, you, live in such a way that provokes that question, that makes people wish this were true? Well, I guess there's two aspects to this. One is corporate, and one is individual. And the corporate question is this, what kind of things could you as a community of Christians do to point people to Jesus Christ? It's very interesting, this verse that we read, um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, starts with a little phrase. It says, always in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Because, of course, the thing that provokes the question is usually an encounter with Christ. It's when people sense something of the reality and the goodness and the love of Christ that it provokes a question. So what could you as a community do to express something of that dynamic, provocative, disturbing love of Christ in this area? I knew a church a little while ago that um, asked this very question, what could we do to express something of the life of Christ here in our context? What are the real issues in our neighborhood that uh, people think about? What are the things that, you know, if, if the kingdom of God was to come overnight, if the kingdom of God was to come tomorrow, what would be here? What would we see? And they went through this process of thinking about it, and they began to think, well, one of the things in our local area is, a, is there's not much community. Um, people don't know their neighbors. People move in and they move out again, and it's very isolated in this community. And so they thought to themselves, the one thing we can do to bear witness to the love of Christ in our area is to be good neighbors. Because in our area, we don't really have good neighbors. And so what they decided to do as a church was to learn how to be good neighbors. And so they taught about it. They thought about it, what the scriptures say about loving your neighbor. And they worked out a system where we worked out, you know, who lives in different streets in the neighborhood. And, and, uh, and so each person was given a little bit of responsibility to, you know, to get to know people in the street, find out when the kids' birthdays were, who were the elderly people who needed a bit of help, you know, who were the, what were the kind of things that were going on in the streets where they lived, and then work out how can, how can we be good neighbors in this area? How can we create something, a community in that place. And as a result, they began to see the church begin to grow because they had hit on the exact issue that needed to be addressed in that locality. Now, I don't know what that is. It's a kind of process of thinking. What can we do here in this locality, in this context, to express something of the life of Christ that will provoke a question? So there's the corporate aspect. The second is the individual one. When you think of your friends and neighbors and family and so on, what lifestyle choices or actions or gestures might provoke a question? I heard a story this week that uh, was a good example of this. It was a story of a, of a small town in Texas where uh, they had a bit of a controversy because um, there'd been a uh, controversy over kind of Christian symbols in this town, you know, sort of crosses in the streets and a nativity scene at Christmas and so on. And there was a one particular person in the, uh, the town who was a well-known atheist, and he had a campaign against uh, public display of Christian symbols, and he, he would kind of write to the, the local council, city council, and, and try to make sure that, that all kind of public Christian expression was banned uh, from the town. 
and um, there was a bit of a sort of conflict between him and the church as a result. A little bit later on, um, he, uh, he discovered that he had a detached retina and was, uh, was gradually going blind in one eye. And he was going to have to retire from his job as a taxi driver. Um, his money was running out. He and his wife were really struggling for, for, for money. They couldn't pay the, hotel, the, the hospital bills and so on. So what the Christians in the town did is they clubbed together to pay his hospital bills. And he was astonished. Now, he didn't become a Christian. He said, I'm, I'm still an atheist, but I just can't quite work it out. I can't work out why they've done this. And it's just a really good little example of that provocative behavior that's just different from what people expect. Something of the goodness of Christ coming out. So corporately, individually, what can we do that provokes a question? How do churches grow? Well, it's when we learn to live a life that provokes a question. And when we're ready to give an answer when that question comes. Let's uh, just spend a few moments in... Um, just in prayer and thought, maybe you could just uh, get into a position where you are just, just can relax a little bit and um, we're going to pray for a few moments. We're going to just in, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come upon us, that you would speak to us now. Give to our hearts and minds pictures, words, ideas, imagination, and to see those things that we as a church and we as individuals might be called to do. Let's focus for, to begin with on, on, on uh, the corporate aspect, Maybe just to, to listen, to see what comes into your mind about what this church might do to express the goodness and love of Christ in this neighborhood. Take a moment to move on to the individual question. What might, might you do? What might God be calling you to do that is provocative, that is Christ-like? Maybe a new habit to take up. Maybe a gesture of love to a neighbor. Maybe a, an act of generosity to someone who has maybe offended you.
So, Father, we thank you that you've given us Jesus Christ, that somehow in the past we have seen something that provoked the question in our hearts and minds that made us wish this was true and brought us to faith in you. And we pray for our life as a church here, for us as individuals, that we might be empowered to display something of your deep and compassionate and powerful presence and love in this place. Continue, we pray, to feed our imaginations by your Holy Spirit. Give us ideas. Help us to be tenacious, to keep on thinking, searching for what you're calling us to do and to be. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Maybe if, uh, as you prayed, maybe something came into your, your mind, um, particularly about the corporate aspect, um, very good. I think it's a great idea to maybe just chat to Tim or chat to other people around uh, you in church. Say, well, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that. Just begin to feed some of those ideas together.